What's going on, guys? My name is Mateo, home of Christ in Crypto. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? There's a lot of stuff in the news. I'll probably make another video after that to cover that. But today, as you notice, we have the headset on, which means that we're doing video analysis. I found a video on Bitcoin versus gold with Peter Schiff and Anthony Pompliano, who I have respect for in both cases. I mean, both guys are really smart. They have a lot to bring to the table. And so it's going to be great watching this debate to sort of break things down and analyze things. And I want to grant a nuanced perspective to what uh, each party is saying in regards to their arguments for or against gold, for or against Bitcoin. And I think that there's a lot of middle ground we can take away from this. And that said, let's just dig into the content, guys. And there's nothing here about the Lightning Network. I know that some arguments could be either emboldened or made less uh, potent because of the introduction of the Lightning Network in accordance with some people uh, who think that the Lightning Network is sort of like the end-all, be-all to all of Bitcoin's problems. Um, there is a report on my Patreon about that. It's a 15-page report that gets into the deets of the Lightning Network. And so there's some good stuff there. We go into some of the problems with it. Compare it to Monero, which, by the way, if you're new to the channel, welcome. We love Monero. Monero is the best, uh, but we're going to talk about Bitcoin and gold and how Monero plays into that. And just crypto and precious metals, we're going to analyze both of those things uh, just as a general topic of conversation. So with that being said, let's dig in. And please let me know what you guys think of the analysis. Please let me know where you guys are on this debate. I'd like to hear it. So opening comments. Possible to physically own. But um, we, we, I think, see, I by the way, this is run by CNBC. They're hosting this debate. This is from 2019. So if something sound a little bit dated, that's why. But CNBC talks a lot about Bitcoin. Does that have you guys a little bit suspicious? I mean, it should. I mean, because CNBC, they like to pump a lot of things that Wall Street and the banks are rather friendly to. And the whole idea of Bitcoin was that it was supposed to supersede the legacy financial system. This doesn't really seem to be happening, or at least they don't think that's the case. And so makes you wonder a little bit. And if you haven't looked at our interview with The Money Today Show, if you haven't listened to our video on tax, blockchain, AI surveillance, go listen to those because that might get you to think, that maybe Bitcoin has a bigger role to play in their plans than your plans. So go check that out. Some good information there. I'd eye on a lot of the global macro issues that uh, the world's facing today. Um, if you look at the uh, recessive period that we're most likely to go into, um, has alarms going off uh, from the inverse um, or inverted yield curves. And uh, it, when that happens, central banks basically have two tools at their disposal. They can either cut interest rates or they can print money. And when that happens, um, good, sustainable uh, stores of value should benefit. Um, gold has served that purpose for uh, you know thousands of years. Um, and I think that you're seeing when we broke off the gold standard uh, and the ability for um, the central banks to actually debase the currency, you saw gold rise over 40x. Um, I'm not here to... Uh right, and that was a big move. And gold and silver reached their all-time high in 1980. Silver got up to 50 bucks, and so when people look at silver today, they're like, oh, man, it's got some room to run until it hits its all-time high. But you have to understand that that was $50 in 1980s dollars. If you want to use inflation-adjusted dollars today, I mean, the all-time high for silver is like $300, $400. And I think it's going way higher than even that. Once the paper derivatives markets break 
and it's just let off the loose. I think it could go to maybe four digits. Um, and given what we're now seeing, just to give you guys some back commentary on what's going on with the Fed and what's going on in the economy, there were some numbers that came out today. The jobs report came out, and I believe the expected number for new jobs was about 750,000. We had 235,000 jobs come in. That's a huge, 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 huge miss. And so with that expectation being missed by such a big amount, the Fed is not going to be able to taper. They're not going to be able to raise interest rates. They're not going to be able to taper this enormous balance sheet, which just hit a new all-time high. And so what are they going to do? Well, they may have to go back to doing stimmies. And so if they go back to doing that, well, what's going to happen? Well, this inflation problem, which they keep telling us is transitory, which it's not, this inflation problem is going to get off the chain which it already is, but people are going to now recognize this. And so if inflation really starts to break up to the upside, what are they going to do? Because now people are unemployed. You have inflation taking off, which is stagflation, right? So what does the Fed do? Do they raise interest rates to try to control inflation, or do they pass out stimmies to people and then have inflation get much worse? And so they're caught up in this bad scenario. Once people recognize this, silver is just going to take off. Uh, cryptos are taking off already. In response to this, I think, although a lot of this stuff is still in the adoption phase, a lot of things happening. But yeah, that's sort of what he's talking about. And there's some backdrop to that. You know, kind of argue against gold necessarily. I actually think gold uh, has a place in people's portfolio, but I do think that um, it's a little short sighted to say gold but not Bitcoin. Um, I think that Bitcoin has a number of advantages in places that gold doesn't. Um, and I think that Bitcoin has a, uh, a role to play in people's portfolio. And so uh, by the end of this, hopefully Peter will be saying gold and Bitcoin rather than uh, gold, not Bitcoin. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully by the yeah. end of this, indeed, yeah. Peter will be saying that. Peter, over to you for your two-minute yeah. opening statement to set the yeah. tone for the debate. Yeah, and first of all, if you're going to refer to me as a gold bug, we're going to have to call Anthony a Bitcoin bug. <laughs> and that actually is a better ring to it anyway. Right? Bitcoin, Bitcoin bug. bug. Gold All right, yeah. Peter, two minutes. Over to you. And look, I have a lot of sympathy with uh, the Bitcoin bugs, you know, and their you know, skepticism or their concerns about our fiat monetary system and the problems that it has. But, you know, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, there already is a monetary alternative to fiat, and that is gold. And, you know, what the creator of Bitcoin tried to do and other cryptos is they're, they're replicating a lot of the qualities that enabled gold to be a better form of money than other commodities that were also used as money. But the one key property that Bitcoin can't replicate. So there's a good point right there. What Peter's basically saying is that gold silver, copper are elemental metals, right? Like they have properties which can't be faked or which can't be provided by anything else. Like they're on the elemental chart and they provide a particular property and a particular use case based on their elemental uh, essences. Bitcoin is essentially just an accounting ledger. And the thing about these accounting ledgers which are coming out, which we now have hundreds of them, if not thousands, because of the growth of the cryptosphere, is that because Bitcoin is largely backed by the sophistication of this new technology, which allows for decentralized public accounting, essentially, well, and value transfer and stuff like that, well, if there is a new accounting system which comes out, which is better than Bitcoin, well, that's going to put it in a more bearish position. 
that's going to make it uh, not that great of a story value. And there's sort of like a different thing happening right now, which is interesting. As technological advancement happens, there seems to be this interesting development taking place, which is counterintuitive, which is that silver and gold are becoming actually better stores of value because they have more use cases. Because as technology develops, as you just heard Peter say, gold is now being used in the making of cell phones. Same thing with silver. Silver is being used in the creation of automobiles. It's being used in many other industrial use cases, which involve technology because silver is like the most conductive metal there is. And uh, because of that, it's going to be used in the establishment of this new uh, green infrastructure and everything that they want to do in this new deal uh, that they're thinking about coming out with. But that being said, the same can't be said for Bitcoin, particularly Bitcoin, not necessarily for crypto, but for Bitcoin, because as technological advancements happen, there are going to be better and better accounting ledgers which come out, which could transact value maybe more efficiently, which could keep track of value in a more nuanced and distinct manner because you have to remember bitcoin is not totally fungible it's not as fungible as some other cryptos in the competition like monero right and we talk a little bit more about this in the michael Saylor video if you want to go check that out which by the way he won't debate peter schiff which is interesting um but the, well, we'll just briefly go over it so that you guys can understand and get a comprehensive idea. The problem with Bitcoin's fungibility is that it, Bitcoins can be tracked and traced. And because Bitcoins can be tracked and traced, you can kind of value Bitcoins differently based on what activity they're involved in, what addresses they're coming from. And so because of that, not every Bitcoin ex is exactly worth the same. And that's a huge problem when it comes to accounting, because if you have an accounting ledger with numbers on that ledger, and those numbers are derivatives of units of value being the currency which make up that accounting ledger, which is Bitcoin in this, in this instance, well, you can't really trust the validity of those numbers on the ledger. And we've seen instances of Bitcoins being blacklisted, which means those Bitcoins, their value essentially goes zero. So even though somebody may have, you know, 10 Bitcoins on the Bitcoin accounting ledger, those 10 Bitcoins are actually worth nothing. And so we see tainted Bitcoin. You can't deposit those Bitcoin onto certain exchanges because maybe they see it as high risk. Maybe they see it as tainted or illegal or whatever. And so the value of Bitcoins are different, right? And so that's a huge, huge problem. That is something which makes it non-competitive. And as technology advances and the competitive edge Bitcoin has against these new cryptocurrencies which may be coming out as that advantage diminishes well so does its value or at least if other people see it that way which they probably will that's another thing about bitcoin is that it has value as long as other people believe that it has value right i mean to a certain extent he's right about that and so the argument then is and we're going to hear this in the conversation well all value is subjective okay but the value for gold and silver has been proven to be established by human beings cross-culturally for thousands of years for jewelry and for other things which make gold valuable and like gold is a status symbol like the establishment of hierarchies in reality is something that is actually rather objective look at the constructive law look at other things like this hierarchy isn't going away and so given that gold its attainment and its adorning of it is a, is a symbol of status 
it's likely that it's not going to be going away. You can't really show your status with Bitcoin. Maybe you could wear a Bitcoin shirt like I did yesterday in my nature walk, but uh, you can't really show your status with it unless like you show it off. But who wants to do that? It's not that cool. It's just digits at the end of the day. But yeah, just some points there. Um, and so as technology moves forward, also consider quantum computing, right? If quantum computing comes out because of our advancements, well, Bitcoin could break. Right? Like you may have to go to another currency, which is quantum resistant. You know, if that's the case, then crap. But who knows? Maybe these quantum computers require a lot of silver, which makes silver more valuable in that instance. So just some things to think about. Is the properties that made gold a valuable commodity, because before gold was money, it was a commodity. It was a very rare and highly desirable luxury good that has all sorts of uses. And it's those fundamental uses that give it its value. It's, it's other properties that make it serve as money. And the reason it's a store of value is because the properties of gold don't decay over time. So whatever you can use gold for today, whether it's jewelry or aerospace or consumer electronics, if I store my gold for 100 years or 1,000 years, I can still use the gold for those purposes. Nothing will have changed over time. But the problem with Bitcoin and the idea that it can be a store of value is it has no value to store. There is nothing that you can use Bitcoin for. The value for Bitcoin is completely a function of the confidence that people have that they'll be able to give it to somebody else in the future at a higher price. That's not necessarily the case. It doesn't really have to necessarily be for a higher price. Let me just make sure that's catching my mic. It doesn't have to be for a higher price. I mean, he's missing that. Yes, it could be a store of value uh, for a short period of time, in which case, A, it could be a trade, or B, it could be used as a medium of exchange. Or even C, it could be used as a safe haven, which is what we see in the crypto markets, actually. When there's volatility in the crypto market, people use Bitcoin as a safe haven in the same way that in the stock market, people get out of the stock market and into U.S. Treasuries, they get into the bond market um, because the bond market is a safe haven. It's a way to get away from volatility. There's not too much volatility in the bond market, largely because the Fed is backing everything up and they'll buy bonds if yields start to spike too much. But that doesn't mean that, um, shoot, where was I going with that? That doesn't mean that you can't have value there in the asset column of this accounting ledger, right? So he's a little bit off by that. But there is another point there, too, that I want to talk about, which is that he said gold is a store of value because it doesn't depreciate. Well, consider this with cryptocurrency. I know some people disagree in regards to this, but just let me throw this point out there and let me know what you guys think about this. Computers depreciate. The electrical grid depreciates. And here's a an article that I wanted to show you guys. And we saw the collapse of the electric grid in uh, Lebanon after Michael Saylor had said, you guys should buy Bitcoin, right? And so when the electrical grid collapsed in Lebanon, how great was the store of value of Bitcoin for those people living in Lebanon? Well, that's something to be considered. And now we see a hurricane going through Louisiana. Jesse, if you're still down there, I'm praying for you. Hopefully you're safe, my friend. Um, well, their electric grid is having problems. And you look at the electrical grid in California, they're having rolling blackouts. And so if one of the functions of Bitcoin is to be a store of value, according to a lot of the Bitcoin bulls, well, if you can't access your value because your power is out, that's not exactly uh, optimal, right? It's not exactly optimal. And there has to be consistent maintenance on the electrical grid, on the internet infrastructure, 
and there have to be miners continuing to mine the Bitcoin blockchain, which brings in another problem, okay? So if going into the future, the mining rewards are less and less and less, which you don't really have a problem with in regards to Monero because there's something called tail emission, which introduces a little bit of inflation into the system. We could get into all that, but miners are going to continue to be incentivized in Monero. That's not necessarily the case in Bitcoin. Uh, or at least the mining rewards become less and less and less, and therefore it gets more centralized. But that those are issues to consider. Like you have to have miners continue to mine the network, node operators to continue to run in order for Bitcoin to have value, which plays into, okay, well, this is only value if other people deem the network to have superior value relative to other options. And given that there are already better options, namely Monero, how valuable is Bitcoin really? And when people start to figure this stuff out, because Monero has many competitive advantages over Bitcoin, although the one competitive disadvantage is uh, the one competitive disadvantage it, you know, admittedly has is that it doesn't have a lot of exchange access because these exchanges are, you know, acting just stupidly in my opinion. I mean, Perkins Coie came out with a paper that said, "Nope, Monero is in perfect compliance." So there's no reason the exchanges shouldn't have Monero on there, but they don't because of whatever reason. But yeah, more access to Bitcoin, more liquidity, first to market, all that stuff. It has some advantages there, but just because you're first to market doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it in the market the longest. And this is typically the case throughout history when it comes to the introduction of any new industry. And so with that being the case, how great is it as a store of value? Maybe a great medium of exchange, maybe a good pool of liquidity, maybe a good safe haven, but that doesn't mean it's a store of value. So understand that, and you could generally say that about the crypto sector when we're talking about the electrical grid and the internet infrastructure and the need to maintain the network and all these things, right? If enough of the world has problems with the electrical grid or their internet infrastructure because the global debt bomb goes off and then people are at a lack of resource capacity, well, that could impact the network effect and impact the capacity for people to access their value or... Maybe the value just isn't there anymore because nobody is using it as a medium of exchange. The prerequisites for using this uh, technology is impacted, right? So something to consider. Last point before we go back as to the safe haven argument. The reason a safe haven isn't necessarily a store of value is because, like, look at treasuries, right? Everybody goes into treasuries as being a safe haven. It's an effective safe haven, but you don't want to hold treasuries for too long because the real interest rate on these U.S. treasuries are like negative 10 to 20% with inflation where it is right now. You know, if you have inflation at, let's just be generous, saying 15%, which it's probably even higher. Well, if you have nominal yields at 1% to 2%, but you have inflation at 10 to 15%, that means you have negative returns guaranteed if you're holding these U.S. treasuries for any long period of time. But that's not to say that it's not a, a bad place uh, to park your money, or that's not to say that it is a bad place to park your money when there's volatility in the stock market, or if you're a trader, but for long-term holding, kind of like with Bitcoin, that might not be the best, right? That might not be the best. All right, Peter, that's your two minutes up. And <laughs> Peter has been quite vocal about this, and he's tweeted a few times saying, you know, that if for Bitcoin to have any value, it means that we've got to almost sucker somebody else into buying it. Is that what you've been saying? You've been saying that Bitcoin only has value if the people that have bought in early can actually get someone to buy it off them. Well, most of the people that I know, and I know a lot of people that own Bitcoin, I mean, they have pie-in-the-sky delusions about how high the price is going to go. 
And the main motivation is uh, for the price to go up. They don't use it. They don't transact in it. They just hodl it. And, and, and they're hoping to get rich. And what's your response to that? People not using Bitcoin and just hodling it and hoping to get rich. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of different things, right? The first is um, the transaction network, right? So we have to separate out there's big B Bitcoin and little B Bitcoin, right? The little B Bitcoin is the asset that you can hold, and the big B Bitcoin is the network that you can transact on. Mm -hmm. That network, or the on-chain settlement of transactions, did over $410 billion of transactions last year, 2018. That's more volume than Venmo did, than Apple Pay, or PayPal, right? So there's but people what are using these transactions? transactions. Is this just people buying and selling amongst each other, or is this people actually using Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee? Well, well it, it's obviously everything, right? So it's all, that incorpor uh, incorporates everything. So but how much of it is just you know, people buying and selling it uh, to each other? And of course, some people can have multiple wallets, and they could just be buying with their left hand and selling with their right hand, right? You don't know how much of the volume is legitimate two-party transactions that are arm's length, mm -hmm. and how much of it is just you know people spoofing it. That's a really good point because people buy on exchanges, right? And when they buy on an exchange, that's one transaction. They move it to another wallet. That's another transaction. Maybe they move it to a Lightning Network wallet. That's another transaction. So that's just three transactions to a person who isn't necessarily buying anything. He's just moving it around. So that's what he's trying to say here. And also to note, Monero's transaction volume is catching up to Bitcoin. But there is a caveat to that in saying that a lot of transactions are now taking place on the Lightning Network, at least transactions which are being used for everyday purchases, small purchases, and things like that. So those aren't necessarily being captured on the chain. So to a certain degree, we don't really know how many transactions are happening with Bitcoin. But if we're comparing base chain to base chain, I think Monero is up to about 17 to 20% of the transaction volume of Bitcoin. So that's a great development. And, you know, uh, just creating volume for the sake of uh, creating the, the illusion that something's going on. For sure. But I, I think the idea that they're doing that for $410 billion of annual volume when some of those other platforms only do, you know, they, they do less than $100 billion, right? It's really hard to fake 410 on-chain transactions in terms of, we know for sure the transactions are real because they're on-chain, so we can verify them, uh, which is one of the benefits of Bitcoin. But also $410 billion is a lot to go ahead and, and move like that if it was all fake, right? So I think that's one piece of it. And the second piece is... But he's not saying the transactions are fake. He's just saying that the transactions aren't actually transactions for commodities and goods and services. That's, that's what he's basically saying. Which you could probably say is the case because a lot of people trade cryptos, right? Could be used as a safe haven, as we said. And if it's used as a safe haven and it's used as a platform to get into many other cryptos or to get out of cryptos, well... You know, gold is not used to buy coffee. Gold's not used to do certain things with that. You know, people say, well, Bitcoin can't do this. I think that one of gold's main use cases is a store of value, right? You buy it, you hold it, and what you're hoping for is that the value that you placed into it or your wealth that you placed into gold is the same or higher in the future, right? So that's the value of a store of value um, asset. Now, Bitcoin, the hodlers, right, or the, the people who hold Bitcoin for long periods of time, they're using it as a store of value. So it has the exact same use case as gold. And what they're doing is they're taking their wealth, they're putting it into this asset. It doesn't have many of the physical properties that gold has, but it has something that gold doesn't in the cryptographic security. And they're trusting that that cryptographic security is, uh, that feature is more important to them than the physical aspects. And that's what goes ahead and uh, stores that value over a long period of time. Gentlemen, before we continue, can we agree are you saying that Bitcoin is a digital gold and a digital store of value? 
Yeah, so one of the things that's really important to understand is if you think of the fiat world, so forget about Bitcoin and digital assets for a second. In the fiat world, we started with gold. Gold was the commodity, right? And that was what was used as a store of value and a medium of exchange. Gold, for a bunch of reasons that you know Peter and others uh, have highlighted, it's not easy to take that gold and go buy coffee at Starbucks, right? So what did we do? We created paper claims on the gold. We created dollar bills that um, ended up saying, I own this much gold, I'll trade you the paper rather than the bar of gold, right? On top of that, we then built the electronic financial system and eventually credit, et cetera. So if you think of gold as the layer one technology, right? Paper's layer two, layer three all the way up. What we're seeing in the digital world is the exact same thing, but it's gonna take a really long time. So Bitcoin itself today is just simply serving as a layer one technology. It's the equivalent of gold in that it doesn't need to be super scalable for transactions at coffee, et cetera. But the thing about gold, which makes it better than Bitcoin on the first layer, is that it's private. Gold is fundamentally private, unless you have a lot of it and you have to store it at a bank and it has to be recorded. Um, and we talked about that a little bit in the Michael Saylor video. There is some fungible gold. There is some gold which is not so fungible. You know, central bank gold isn't fungible because it has a lot of markers on the gold, which indicates its ownership in accordance with the central bank. But a lot of that can be fixed. You can just melt it down. Then it becomes fungible again, whatever. But with Bitcoin, that's not the same situation. All the Bitcoins can be tracked, which means that the entire network has an issue in regards to fungibility. And when you try to scale that, um, you're just sort of scaling on top of something which fundamentally has a problem. And the scaling doesn't make that work better. It just makes the fall from grace that much harder when it actually happens. And it will happen, in my opinion. It will happen. Um, and we're seeing that a lot of these Lightning Network solutions like the ones being implemented in El Salvador, are going to be custodial, which means that everything you do is going to be tracked and traced. And so that doesn't fix the privacy problem. And, you know, they're going to integrate, I imagine, tax into a lot of that stuff, because I think every transaction you do on the Lightning Network is also taxed. And so given that a lot of people are probably not going to be recording their transactions or paying their taxes, they're going to go to a lot of these custodial wallets and say, hey, you have to do accounting on all these people who are, uh, you know, working out of your node or out of your wallet. And you have to keep track of all that stuff, which means fees are going to go higher because it's going to be uh, you're going to have to comply with more regulations. And who knows, with all of this climate stuff, just as an off point, and then we'll get back to the video. I know I rant a lot, but as, as far as the climate stuff goes, they're talking about carbon taxes now. In regards to carbon taxes, what does proof-of-work mining mean for Bitcoin? So because it's not private, it's much more prone to regulatory attack vectors, and that's going to increase the cost of using the service, which means that other competitors which may not have to deal with that stuff, like Monero, may, again, get a competitive edge. So... There will be these other layers that eventually get... And I'm not saying break the law again, disclaimer, but, you know. ...built on top of it. The question is, who's going to build it? When is it going to come? How does it work, etc.? Yeah, well, first of all, when gold was money, and gold was money before we had fiat, mm -hmm. when people wanted to buy something small, like a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. they didn't pay for it with gold. Mm -hmm. They would use another metal that was yep. money. They might use copper. Right? Pennies were made out of copper or nickel. And so you could use other forms of money because other commodities can serve as money mm -hmm. uh, in addition to gold. In fact, in the United States, legally, we have a bimetallic system where both gold and silver were money. Mm -hmm. right? uh, copper and nickel were used as medium of exchange. They weren't legal tender, but people still bought things with pennies and with nickels. But yes, uh, for some transactions, banks would store your gold and then they would issue a uh, currency back. 
That's a really good point because whenever people think of precious metals or us going back to a gold standard, like they neglect to realize that there are other base metals which are less valuable than gold and silver, which could be used in exchange. And so um, even though, again, I still think cryptocurrency is a better medium of exchange because you're you know, not going to be sending copper pennies across the world for somebody, like I think that uh, crypto is a better medium of exchange, better store of value for uh, gold and silver. But that's not to say that it wasn't, it wasn't a bad system for medium exchange for a few thousand years, right? Act by that gold, and then people would start exchanging uh, the paper uh, instead of the actual gold. The, the gold ownership would stay at a blacksmith or a bank, but what gave gold its value, or even copper or nickel or silver, is the things that you can do with those metals apart from use them uh, as a medium of exchange or store of value. And the value that you are storing is all of the things that you can do with it. Mm -hmm. But with Bitcoin, there's nothing that you can do with it, so you're not storing any value. And to say that, well, people aren't using gold to buy a cup of coffee, they're not using gold now mm -hmm. uh, as a medium of exchange because everybody is using paper. Mm -hmm. But if uh, a coffee merchant wanted to be paid in gold mm -hmm. and a customer wanted to pay in gold, that's actually easy to do. I can do that easier than, than doing it with Bitcoin. It's a less expensive transaction. It happens faster and it happens quicker. So, you know, using the technology, people in Bitcoin want to keep saying, hey, Peter, you don't look at technology. Well, with the technology that exists today, it's very easy to have your gold stored and then electronically transfer ownership of whatever quantity you want between two people. Mm -hmm. And so people can use gold as a medium of exchange, and they will use it again once confidence is really lost in the fiat system, and you start to see a more rapid decline in the purchasing power of the dollar or the euro or the yen, mm -hmm. uh, then you'll see the public demanding a more stable alternative, and they'll go back to gold. Peter, why do you think that... It's questionable that they're going to go back to gold because for people to go back to gold, they have to actually understand what Peter is saying. And a lot of people don't. Like a lot of people aren't educated on the fact that gold was actually money. I mean, maybe if they get involved in Bitcoin, maybe they'll get involved in that debate. But most people, when they get involved in Bitcoin, then they look at gold. They're like, oh, you know, that's just an anachronism. You know, that's just like the old school way of doing things. Bitcoin's obviously better. It's a digital world. And so even though Bitcoin may be a worse store of value, People may pick it more than gold, which means that the gold price won't go up as much, which means Bitcoin will go up more. I mean, a lot of what's happening in the crypto market is just people who are largely unaware of a lot of things getting caught up in the hype. That's why Dogecoin is like the number eight cryptocurrency, and it's worth like, what, 30, 40 billion dollars? You know, I've met people who are like serious about Dogecoin, like they're serious about Dogecoin and like they're not into any of this stuff, right? They're just like, oh, Dogecoin's going to the moon. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah, I could use it as a crypto. They're not looking at like the inflation element. They're not looking at like the security elements. They think a coin is a coin is a coin. It's a digital money, so whatever. And so a lot of it's hype. And wherever people choose to spend their money, they're going to spend their money. Now, it's my belief that everything returns to fair value at some point. Bubbles pop. People want to get to something which is real, which something which actually has value in use case. Um and when people are in things that they don't understand the value of, when things start to collapse because the smart people wake up to this stuff, other people follow the smart people, then it really collapses for real. And it's only the true believers who are just totally delusional who end up being the backholders, right? People today don't use gold as a medium of exchange. 
Well, because they, why would they? I mean, they're, they're getting paid their salaries in, if they live in the U.S., they're getting paid in dollars. Uh, and their landlord wants to be paid rent in dollars. The U.S. government wants taxes in dollars. All the prices are in dollars. So it's a lot easier for people to use dollars. And, you know, dollars, they're not a great long-term store of value. In fact, they're a lousy long-term store of value. But on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis, they're pretty stable. And it's Right, so dollars are safe havens too. Like That's why you see the dollar go up, weirdly enough, when the Fed talks about uh, raising rates. Or no, 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 no. When they talk about maybe cutting rates, that's when people flood into the dollar. Or no, 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 I'm getting this wrong, I'm getting this wrong. I'm going to get it right this time. So whenever there are prints that coming out, that come out, economic prints, uh, which indicate that inflation is bad, the dollar goes up. That's what I mean to say. So whenever inflation beats expectations, in many cases... Uh, the dollar goes up in response to that. Now, why does that happen? It's because they anticipate the Fed uh, raising rates. And when the Fed raises rates, that impacts the stock market because it gets more expensive to borrow money, which means that people can't juice up stock prices that much more. And so then people go to the dollar as a safe haven because of the stock market volatility, which happens as a result of that. Even though in the long term, what that means is that the dollar is going to be devalued. And it's... uh, not going to be good for the currency. But still, they see the dollar as a safe haven. They go into the dollar because it's a good short-term play that protects your uh, value in the volatile market. And then you can get back in when the Fed finally says, hey, we're not going to raise rates as everybody always uh, anticipates but just never seems to understand. Like the Fed is not going to raise rates, guys. They're not going to do it. They can't do it. If they could do it, they would have done it already. So. It's very easy to transact in them. And why do you think people today aren't using gold as a, as a, as a value transfer mechanism or a well, payment mechanism? Well, it's the same reason why things like paper claims on gold, et cetera, were created, right? It, it's very difficult to use. It's that layer one technology. And I think when you look at Bitcoin, it's very similar, right? I, I agree with Peter that there's not a ton of transaction volume where people are going to a coffee shop and buying coffee, but I don't think that's what Bitcoin is necessarily intended to do at this moment, right? Because we need to build more and more infrastructure. We're comparing an asset like gold that has three thousand plus years of existence as a store value medium of exchange to an asset that is 10 and a half years old, right? And, and the other piece I would say is from a store of value, I re- really want to kind of focus in on store of value for a second because I think that's, um, there's very few people who would argue that gold is not a store of value, right? So I think we can all agree gold is a store of value. Um, and the way that you measure that store of value, right, whether it's going up or down in, in, um, in the ability to store value is the U.S. dollar price, right? So we say I could take X percentage of gold, and I can go ahead and I can turn it into dollars. Here's how much dollars I would get for that gold. Bitcoin has the same thing, right? There's one Bitcoin. What is the U.S. dollar exchange price, right? That's how we measure store value for both assets. And gold has actually, since 1971, right, when we broke from the gold standard, done very well. It's 40x, right? There's not a lot of other assets that have done that well over that period of time. Now, Bitcoin has done that in the last two years, right? Two and a half years. And so, when, when you look at that, what ends up occurring is you're seeing the same symptoms or the same um, kind of mechanisms of gold and, and where value accrued and how it grew and why it grew and, and how it permeated society. You're seeing it in another store of value asset. The difference is gold doesn't get the benefit of the internet, right? The internet gives something much more scalability, can go viral. And, and I think that the other key piece is money is just a belief system, 
right? So a medium of exchange is simply valuable because both parties agree, right? So I think when Peter said- Not real money. You're talking about fiat money. You're talking about a paper currency that governments create out of thin air. There, the value is derived from faith and confidence, but it also has the backing of the government that issued it and the fact that each government demands that its citizens pay taxes in that currency that it creates, which means there is a demand among the citizens to accumulate that currency in order to pay those taxes. And because of that, all of the contracts are denominated in that, uh, employment contracts, rental agreements, uh, bonds, insurance contracts. So everybody starts using it. But ultimately, if the government abuses uh, the, the, the privilege of creating it and it creates too much, uh, it collapses in value because the confidence is, is destroyed. And, and Bitcoin has much more in common with a fiat currency than it does with gold because gold's value is derived from its physical properties that make it desirable and make it useful. Whereas Bitcoin's value is derived from the confidence that people are going to want it in the future, even though it has no physical properties or any other properties that you can use it for. After the commercial break, we'll talk about the properties of gold and the properties of Bitcoin. So stay tuned. And we're back with the golden debate. So far less heated than I expected, but we're only a few minutes in. Just before the break, Peter Schiff highlighted the properties that Bitcoin has and the properties that gold has. And you were going to respond. Let's talk about the properties of gold versus the properties of Bitcoin. Yeah, I want to make sure we understand uh, a medium of exchange, right? Gold has certain physical properties, right? And I don't think anyone debates whether they have those properties or not. The question is, are they valuable, right? And that's what actually, when I say that uh, money is a belief system, whether Peter wants to pay me in gold, in rocks, in dollars or in something else, the only way that that is actually going to consummate a transaction is if both he and I believe that that asset has value. Right? I want the asset, he wants to give me the assets. We both have to buy into the belief that that is valuable. But if Peter has gold and I don't want gold or I don't think gold is valuable, it doesn't matter what the US dollar price is, I'm not gonna accept it, so therefore it is worthless in this transaction. By the way, the same thing is true of Bitcoin, right? If one side of the transaction doesn't want Bitcoin, then the Bitcoin in that transaction is worthless, right? You can't use well, it. That, does, that doesn't matter if you don't want it. I mean, even the GIs uh, after World War II were using cigarettes as money. Yep. Even if you didn't smoke, you still knew that other people did. And so if you didn't want to smoke the cigarettes, you knew that there was a market of smokers and you would still accept cigarettes well, you believed in exchange. Value. You but it was not about... Value. By the way, I hear that there are alcohol shortages... Alcohol, I believe in early America, specifically in Tennessee, was used as money. And yeah, I know a lot of people who take that as money. Belief, you know that if there's like a collapse, right? The people smoke them, right? Mm -hmm. So gold has value. There's an entire jewelry industry mm -hmm. uh, that is built around gold. People want gold in jewelry, but they use it in dentistry. They use it in uh, con consumer electronics. Cell phones have gold in them. So we know that there is industrial, there is jewelry, and there is monetary demand. Central banks are big owners of gold. They are buyers of gold. So you know it's there as a reserve asset. So it's not a question of whether or not you think gold has value. It objectively has value because of all the things it is being used for today and all the things it's been used for for thousands of years. So Peter, what is gold? That is an interesting question. At what point do, at what point is there like a threshold which is broken with the number of people who find something subjectively valued to where you determine that to be objectively valued. 
It's just an interesting philosophical question. I wonder what you guys think about that. Used for other than a store of value today. What percent? I just told you half the gold is used in jewelry. Look, I'm wearing a watch. There's gold in in, in this watch, right there. It's a great you know, watch. Yeah, I mean, so you, people need gold to do that. And you know, you talk about how it's so clunky and cumbersome. You know, I happen to have 50 grams of gold that I had in my wallet. This is the size of a credit card. In fact, it, it's a debit card, but it's made of gold. It doesn't weigh very much. Here, it's fifteen hundred dollars. At present melt value. Don't, hey, don't, don't put that. But it's very easy for people to carry around physical gold. But this particular debit card links to a, an account that I have. Uh, you said you don't use gold on the internet. I have an account in gold money, and I have gold in the account. And if I want to spend the gold, if somebody wants it, I can transfer ownership of my gold for free to a merchant, or I can uh, you know, use this and I could, you know, go to an uh, ATM machine and liquidate some of my gold and take out the cash, but or I can a, buy something with it. Uh, but but you the, know. Key, the key difference here is, um, so there's two things. One is the gold in that account, right? So you put gold, uh, gold in the gold money account, you, right. have, you have this card. When you want to transfer it to, say, Ron, right, the only way he can receive that gold is he gets an account at gold money. If he, wa- if he directly wants the gold, absolutely. He okay. has to go online, yep. open up a gold money account, and yep. if we both have accounts, we can transfer ownership and gold from money, one another. Gold money takes the gold from your account, right? It debits it. And it credits it to Ryan. Right, it account. doesn't actually move the gold. The gold stays in a vault. It's okay. a Brinks vault, whether it's in Switzerland or Dubai yep. or Hong Kong. And the ownership transfers from me to the counterpart. Right, so you need a third party. How do you, how do you know in that system that gold money is actually doing what you tell them to do? Well, I mean... They're, a, they, they're saying that they're doing it. Um, they're, you know, they're a company. They're, they have competitive forces. Uh, you know, they're, they're storing with Brinks, which is a third party. Uh, Brinks has been custodian gold for 150 years, hasn't lost any. They have reinsurance through Lloyd's of London. So you have a lot of free market safeguards that say the company is doing what they're saying they're doing. If they're not doing it, they're liable. There's fraud there. But they have auditors. They have all sorts of safeguards. Can you go in and audit or, or verify that the gold's there, that they actually moving it to other accounts? Like, like how do you... So what Peter said may work in the private market, but in regards to governments, there hasn't been an audit on how much gold the Federal Reserve has had over like the last hundred years. I don't think there's ever been a full audit of the Fed. And I don't remember the last time there was an audit at Fort Knox where a lot of the government gold supposedly is. So uh, I know that people have struggled to get... Uh, fully disclosed audit reports in regards to that, and they've been unsuccessful. So it works for private markets, but it doesn't work for governments. And so that's why there is speculation that it could work. Like government finances would be a lot better run if it was run on Bitcoin or a public blockchain ledger instead of gold or instead of fiat, especially, right? And we talked about this in last video uh, with Catherine Austin Fitz and Dr. Mark Skidmore and their graduate students discovering like $20 trillion of missing money. If they looked at, uh, they looked at the Department of Defense, they looked at housing and urban development, their financial reports from like 1995 to 2010, I want to say, and they found trillions upon trillions of dollars of what they call undocumented adjustments. What happened to that money? Well, we don't know. It's hard to find out with fiat currency, uh, and it would be more easier to figure that stuff out if you had uh, public blockchains, which they had to use. Now, that's why I, to some degree, think that they're going to use Monero. I think that they're probably going to use Monero a lot more than they will 
use public blockchains, but that's the ideal if they were to use public blockchains. Uh, but I suspect that they would just flip a lot of that stuff into Monero, give it to whatever group to do whatever nefarious thing, right? But that's just other speculation, right? Back to the video. Well, I mean, if I physically wanted to do it myself, I'm sure that I could, but I can accept the opinion of third-party auditors uh, that have a reputation in the market that they need to maintain. But again, look, you know, Gold Money is not the only company that can do this. I mean, people in the crypto community keep saying you can't trust third parties. Of course you trust third parties. That's what capitalism is all about. Yeah, and to some degree you have to do that in the Bitcoin blockchain, but to a significantly less degree. Uh, but at the end of the day, if miners don't want to mine your coins because maybe another third party determined your account, your wallet address, or your coins to be uh, worthy of being blacklisted for whatever reason, we saw this with the DeFi hack, right? With the DeFi hack, uh, the guy who hacked the Poly Network for $611 million, he had his Ethereum account frozen in time, like almost instantaneously after that happened. And so you had a third party, which came in and said, no, you can't transact these coins. And then, boom, it was shut down. The miners didn't mine the coins. Now, again, there are arguments like, oh, that, no, that Matt, that's great. But, you know, what if you get on the wrong side of whoever it is that is to make that decision, right? So things to think about. Those third parties are competing with each other for reputation. That doesn't happen with Monero. Reputation in the marketplace. And they're not going to blow that reputation if they want to preserve its value. I mean, where, where I see a complete leaf of faith and trust is people who want to put their trust in, in Bitcoin, something that doesn't even really exist. And you're going you're gonna to have trust in that, that it's going to maintain some value. You have to trust this network. You have to trust miners who you've never met. You have to trust all these whales and you have no idea what their hidden agenda. Yeah, the thing about the whales, uh, somebody had brought this up. What if Satoshi has just held his Bitcoins for so long because he knew they were going to be like hella valuable? Or maybe Satoshi's dead, who knows? But like when the atomic swaps come out for Monero, dude, could you imagine if Satoshi flops a lot of his Bitcoin into Monero? Because nobody knows who Satoshi is if he signs up for a KYC exchange. Well, everyone's going to know who Satoshi is, and he's probably going to die within 24 hours. He's going to get assange like, instantly, right? Uh, because maybe the government doesn't like him, or maybe just intelligence agencies want to understand who he is. Maybe it could be that he works for an intelligence agency. I don't know. Some people think that Bitcoin was started by DARPA, but, um, yeah. I mean, if he's somebody who's trying to remain undercover and remain anonymous, but he wants to get like the billions upon billions of dollars of value out of that wallet, which anyone would, right, you'd think— it could be that he starts to move into Monero when the atomic swaps happen. But that's speculative. We'll see what happens. But just something interesting to note. And Dazar? All, all you're trusting is you're trusting a piece of software, right? You're trusting an algorithm. No, no. I'm not even trusting that. I'm trusting that this digital creation mm -hmm. out of nothing, this string of numbers, mm -hmm. right? Letters or numbers. Right. No, it's not the software. I don't get the software. I just get the string of numbers that somehow somebody in the future is actually going to want that and be willing to pay me money for that. I mean, that's what you're trusting. Let's talk, about, let's talk about trust for a second. Peter, you're talking about trust, and you're talking about trust of third-party service providers. And we know from history that whereas this is a capitalistic society and that there, has been, uh, there have been some breaches of trust by even the most mm -hmm. reputable... This guy just came in to save Pompliano. <laughs> that's what happened. See, again, why is CNBC very much on the side of Bitcoin because they never talk about gold. Like, mind you, whenever there was any market turbulence over the last 10 years, and I've been watching, like, they scarcely talk about gold. 
and they increasingly talked about Bitcoin. Now they're talking about Bitcoin every day. You think in this environment they would talk about gold a little bit more, given that it has a track record of being a store of value in times of volatility. Uh, but they don't. They don't like talking about uh, gold. They barely ever have Peter Schiff on to talk now. And so just something to consider. I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but, you know. Service providers. And let's talk about the trust in the Bitcoin network and yeah. how it actually works. Yeah, so, so what, I, what I was getting at with the questions is... Right, so he just jumped in. It had nothing to do with what they were talking about. You're trusting a third party, right? And, and there's well, a that, lot... Again, that's for the part of my gold that I keep with gold money. Yeah. I have gold in my safe. I mean, this, this gold that's in my pocket, I'm not trusting anybody. Yep. I have it on me. It's in my possession. Yep. And, a lot, and most people keep most of their gold in their own safes. Yep. And they're not trusting a third party because they own the gold themselves. But here's the problem with Peter's argument there. So if you have gold in the safe and you want to make a transaction with somebody who is geographically far away from you, how are you going to make that happen? Well, then you got to take it to a third party. you got to pay the fee to do that, I'm guessing, and then you got to make the transaction. So if you have it and you don't have to trust a third party, well, then you're not going to be able to facilitate that value across really much space at all unless like the person is there and you can just give it to them, but then you run the risk of somebody maybe running them off the road or something like that. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's either you have no trust in a third party and you have it with you as a store of value, which is nice. I think that's something that's great. Or you trust a third party with it. Who knows how much you could trust a third party, especially in today's volatile time, to then facilitate the exchange for you. And, yeah, you'd rather have cryptocurrency in that regard, right? So in a digital globalized age, uh, cryptocurrency, I think, is more optimal for uh, exchanging value and for having a medium of exchange, while gold, I think, will always still be king for maintaining value uh, and having a store of value in the long term, intergenerational wealth. My opinion, let me know what you guys think. Yep. So what you have to remember with Bitcoin is the exact same mechanisms exist, right? So I can take my Bitcoin, which again is just software, right? It, it, it is governed by an algorithm, but it's just software. And I can put it with a third party custody yeah, provider, I get that. right? Or I can, it can be non-custodial. I can hold on to it myself, right? But the key switch here, I think, is that you trust that piece of metal, right? Because you can physically hold it. You have it. You, you understand what the physical properties are. And you think that you're going to be able to give it to somebody else in the future, right? And it's going to be, they're going to pay you for it, right? If you want to give it to them. Well, the goals had value for thousands of years, there's no reason for it to stop having value. Um, but what you're doing is you're trusting that something that's only had market value for a decade, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have value outside that market, mm -hmm. right? And you're just, you're just having confidence that people are going to want it. And again, what makes no sense is even if you assume, okay, if cryptocurrencies are going to work, mm -hmm. I cannot think of an example throughout history where any innovation, where the first one was the best one. Right, that's a that's a very key point. Whoever was invented, whether somebody invented the telephone, the first telephone was not the best telephone. It's been improved upon. The first television, the first automobile. So if cryptocurrency would work, why would we assume that Bitcoin is the one that's going to succeed? Why would the first attempt be the best attempt? Why wouldn't somebody come up with something better, that's quicker, that's more reliable, that's more secure than Bitcoin? And if somebody can do that, then it renders Bitcoin worthless because there's something better. 
And that's Monero. Before we continue in that debate, and the debate there is whether the first is the best and the one that's going to survive, let's put the trust issues to bed because I don't think we've fully put the trust. Dude, why are you jumping in to save Pompliano right here? Like, Pompliano, I'm not going to say is in trouble here, but, I mean, he's on the defensive. That was a key argument, right? Because that is a key weakness for Bitcoin, as we talked about before. I mean, there are going to be better cryptos which come along. There already have been cryptos that have come along which are better. I mean, for me, I mean, even if I was not about privacy and I didn't care about all that, which I do, but why wouldn't you transact in Cardano? You know, Cardano is a proof of stake coin, and it's better than Bitcoin in that if you hold Cardano, you get like a 5% APY for holding it. Transactions are cheap. They're fast. Why not just use Cardano, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, the thing about Cardano is like you do have a central point of failure problem. Maybe the government decides to go after Hoskinson or go after IOHK's company. There is a central point of failure issue with regards to that. Um, in my opinion, let me know if I'm wrong about that. I do know that there are a lot of developers working on it. But yeah, it's, it's I think, better than Bitcoin. And... Monero is better than Bitcoin because it's more fungible, right? It's more private. And privacy, guys, again, is just so undervalued in this new world that we're going into. I mean, just look at what's happening in Australia. Case in point, okay? And there's stuff going on every single day. I mean, facial recognition used by the U.S. government is going through the roof. Uh, social credit stuff is getting interesting here in the United States. Digital ID with the stabby passports. So... Yeah, all that stuff is coming. Privacy is going to be absolutely key here in the future. And so why would you want a public blockchain, especially as governments are becoming more in debt? Uh, like the next evolution is private cryptocurrencies. Like I think Darrow is going to be a better project than Ethereum. I think Monero is going to be a more successful project than Bitcoin. And Pyrochain is going to be a better project than Dogecoin. I mean, that's for sure, but maybe some other... Coins like Litecoin could be better than that. My personal opinion. Again, let me know, you guys. Let me know what you guys think. Trust issues away. You're saying that you trust third-party providers holding gold, or you trust the gold that's in your safe at home, um, which can be stolen, which uh, which which can't be stored in very big amounts. You're saying you trust the computer algorithm. I want to get to some kind of finality where the two of you well, agree as well, to gold, whether. See, gold is not. But that had nothing to do with this conversation. Not about trust. I don't have to trust when I own gold, right? You have to trust when you own fiat currency. You have to trust when you own Bitcoin. But the, the value of gold is based on the underlying uses, the utility of the metal itself, right? So which you don't have to jewelry, trust that. Which is jewelry. That's a big part of it. And don't, and don't downplay how important jewelry is. Right? I mean, I have a wife, so yes, and you know, <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, and jewelry is also you know, it's important in culture, it's important in religion, and, and there's a reason that gold is used for jewelry. It's not an accident that people choose but to you, make jewelry out of gold. You trust algorithms and software with other parts of your life, right? So when you get lost in New York City, you don't ask the guy on the street corner for directions. You pull up Google Maps and say, "Tell me where to go." But that's right? a different type of trust. Well, hold on, but but you trust that that software is going to do its job, right? When you want a music recommendation, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you use, right? They recommend music and you trust that it, it's accurate. If you want answers to a question, you trust Google to give you the answers, right? So, so there's other aspects in your non-financial life that you trust algorithms. Right, but and again, I don't think I'm going to turn around and sell 
my GPS and a profit to somebody else in the future. Sure. I don't I don't confuse it with being a store of value because it provides some type of service that I that I paid for that I purchased. Right. So again, Bitcoin and crypto is a service. It's a payment provider. That's what it is. It's a medium of exchange. That's not to say it's a store of value though. When you buy because better payment services could pop up and if you're still invested in the other payment service, well you could miss out, right? Bitcoin, it's not providing any service. It's not satisfying any of your uh, uh, you know, well, it's needs or desires. It's, it's providing cryptographic security. But security of what? You've secured nothing. Yes, I mean, I can even concede potentially. Well, that's not true. You're securing the record of accounts. That's what you're securing. And if you can cryptographically secure what participants in an economy owe each other, namely uh, what their assets are, maybe what their liabilities are, how much you can get out of society and how much society is to get out of you. That's very important. That's really important information to secure. Like information has value and to secure that information is even more valuable. So I, I don't agree with Peter here. That Bitcoin, you can't, if I own a Bitcoin, no one's going to steal it. But if I have nothing, then what difference does it make whether someone steals it or not? I mean, it only has this value to the extent that somebody else believes they're going to get rich by buying it. And again, you know, you don't want to confuse because you said earlier that uh, store of value. I will concede that the price of Bitcoin has gone way up, but you can't con confuse price appreciation with a store of value. Anything that can go up can also come way down, as we've seen before. I mean, Bitcoin has had some spectacular declines, uh, and so there's a lot of volatility there. But, but it's, you don't it's know. Growing, it's growing just like a network grows, right? So if you think of a, a, take a mobile application, right? The way that networks grow is there's an influx of new users, right? So everyone rushes in, they want to try the new hot mobile app. Then there's some churn of those users. So let's say that 100 new people come in to try something, right? You try it, you don't like it. He likes it. 30% of those people leave, right? So it's a net 70% gain, right? Or net 70 people gain for that network. Then there's another big rush of people, right? When those new people come in, some of them churn out, but there's another net gain. And so the low continues to be higher but what because you're getting you, higher you get and higher the, retention. What happens when you get the final rush? Yeah, but that's just how a market works. You know, like nothing ever goes straight up in a market. If you're a trader, you know this. There's always pullback because people are taking profits or maybe they just figured out there's another project on the scene which is worth investing in. Uh, that's just market behavior, right? What happens when you've, you've reached your max and now p more people are losing interest in Bitcoin than trying to adopt it, right? You've, you've maxed out uh, the appeal of the network and now instead of continuing to grow, it starts to shrink. Well, then what happens? Remember that money in general is a very viral product, right? So if I give you money and then you turn around and you use it and then somebody else uses it, somebody else uses it, you're pulling more people into the network, right? And network effects, right? We know from technology companies, network effects are really, really hard to unbundle, right? So if all of us are all using something, right? Take Google for... What about MySpace? <laughs> what about... Uh... Ask Jeeves. Do you guys remember Ask Jeeves from like a long time ago? That was the search engine to go to. Oh, yeah, Jeeves probably knows. Then Google came along, right? For example, there's so many people putting content up trying to get it listed on Google. There's so many people who are going and searching all the time, right? So that traffic and the content providers, there's a network there. To get you to switch from whether it's an Uber as a network uh, effect business. And also recall that a lot of these companies that he's referencing right here, have like government sanctioned monopolies. Like they pay off a lot of people in government 
in order to protect their status and to protect their patents and to protect their intellectual property and everything like this. So in a free market, which is what crypto is right now and a lot to a large degree, like just because something is first, just because something has network effects doesn't really mean much. And we've seen Bitcoin go from like 70 to 75% market dominance to now it's at about 45%. And so Ethereum is taking market share now. And a lot of Ethereum market share is probably going to make its way into Cardano. I think Cardano is probably going to flip Ethereum. The Ethereum gas fees are redonkulous. Like somebody was posting on Twitter about how they're having to pay $120 in gas fees. And I know this. I mean, I used to use Uniswap to get into different projects. And this was, I think, like four or five months ago. Uh, I was getting into some projects and like the gas fees were like $50 for each transaction. Like that is insane. And I guess they're working on fixing this. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ethereum's going to take market cap away from that. And who knows if the Lightning Network doesn't work out to be as much as it's hyped to be, which like there is so much hype priced into the Lightning Network. People seriously think this is the end all be all for Bitcoin. It's going to solve the privacy issues, which it doesn't. It's going to solve uh, the scalability issues, which to get everybody onto the Lightning Network in and of itself is a scalability issue because you have to have a bunch of transactions to get people onto the network unless they're on the onboarded to uh, custodial wallets, in which case, if that's the case, then yeah, this, the privacy issue is a problem. And then the security issue is a problem. Because again, you have central points of failure. And then you get back to kind of like a modern day banking system, or at least a gold standard esque banking system, where you may have your assets at a custodial wallet, they make it easier for you to transact with people. And then you redeem your Bitcoin from them. And then if that's the case, then you got to transfer it back onto chain. And they also charge you a fee. Like we were looking at uh, some people for the Lightning Network report. And there are people who were taking their funds off a Lightning Network uh, wallet to their on-chain wallet. And like they were paying like 60% of the amount that they're transferring off to the wallet uh, custodial provider and, to, uh, and, and just as a transaction on-chain. And so there's going to be disincentives to keep people onto that chain. And so uh, that's an issue. That's an issue. Uh, I forgot what I was talking to in regards to this. Let's just go back. Sorry. My ADD kicks in really hard sometimes. So uh, Google from a uh, information network effect business, et cetera, to get you to. Oh, yeah. My point. Yeah. So if Lightning Network does not turn out to be as advertised, which was which I think might be the case. You know, a lot of people in El Salvador, they actually didn't want the Lightning Network adoption. Most of the El Salvadorians were actually against it. The Bitcoiners don't tell you anything about that. You never see news about that anywhere, but it's the truth. They didn't want the establishment of the Lightning Network. And so if it's a nightmare onboarding people onto this thing where people are like crazy suspicious of what's happening and it ends up being like a total surveillance system and people are getting picked up Gestapo style by the government, which who knows if that's going to happen. I mean, they seem pretty free market down there although i don't know too much about the government thing with south america is like maybe they're free market right now but with all the rich people moving in there maybe you have resentment of the lower classes against the rich people that are moving there because of the bitcoin adoption and then they're like hey bring in a socialist and if they bring in a socialist they know where all your money is because again bitcoin can be tracked and traced and then you're in trouble so you know we'll see what happens with that but if there's a problem with el salvador adopting the lightning network how much is that going to incentivize other nations to come on board Right. 
And so if that fails, then again, you could have the decline of the network effect as other people look for other options, which is what happened in 2017. In 2017, when there were high transaction costs and the transactions were really slow, well, a lot of people looked for other options, and that's when altcoins started to take off. Like that's when Cardano started to take off, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, those coins started to go nuclear. And it wasn't just people saying, hey, let's just gamble on these. It's like, no, Bitcoin like seemingly just doesn't work. <laughs> okay, so let's get into these other ones, which are cheaper, which can maybe scale better. And so that's what happened. I mean, things can change really fast, guys. If, so, if there's a better solution, people will sell their coins at the top before other people do, and they'll get out and get onto the bottom of a ride for the next pump. And so I think that's what's going to happen with Monero. Monero is better than Bitcoin. It's just the fact. Even Michael Saylor says Monero is too good, right? Go listen to uh, Bitcoin All-Stars, comment on Monero, my video there. Uh, we talk uh, about a lot of people who are into Bitcoin also talking about Monero, and they speak very highly of Monero. Their big issue is that it's just not going to be adopted because of maybe the clamps that the governments are going to put on it or the exchanges are not going to make it easy, which is to some degree the case. But we've talked about Haveno, which is a private decentralized exchange coming out, which is going to make it easier for Monero to be used in exchange for other cryptocurrencies. And it's going to make it easier for people to access uh, Monero without having to go through KYC and all that stuff. So all that stuff is going to be solved. Monero is going to be huge. It's probably, in my opinion, going to become bigger than Bitcoin. I have no timeline on this, but I think that the move is going to begin soon with everything that's going on in regards to privacy, AI, uh, blockchain integration with coded legislation, as we talked about in that one video. So yeah, good things happening. Network effects can unravel like that. As fast as network effects happen, that's how fast that they can unhappen. You know, So things to consider there switch is really, really hard to do, right? Because once the network starts to grow, there's lock-in. And so when you get that with money, right, what you're getting is you're getting millions of people, right? Here's people the aren't using. People aren't using Bitcoin as holding, money. They're, holding they're buying it case. and they're hoping but, but it goes up. holding is a use case, right? Not gold, really. You're well, just, with gold... You're, People are holding, hoping that the price goes up so they can sell, but aren't so they, they can actually buy something But isn't it. that what you're doing with gold when no. you hold it as a store value? No. What are you Not doing? doing that at all. I mean, first of all, because we know that over time, there's always going to be demand for gold for Maybe. all of its well, various per well, uses. How do we know this? Well, it's been there's, it's for thousands of years. Why would it stop? I mean, there, if people could invent something better than gold, they might have already done it. Right. So they haven't. But, you know, uh, you know, you could try to pick some other commodity that you think is a store of value, but they don't have the properties that gold has that make it uh, that, you know, likely to store that value. This conversation makes more sense if you input silver instead of gold, in my opinion, because silver has way more use cases than gold, and which is another reason why I think silver is just going to go freaking nuclear once uh, the levers are unhinged. But if you replace gold in this conversation with silver, I think things will make a little bit more sense. But Bitcoin doesn't have any of them. People aren't just holding gold to speculate because I don't have to find another gold speculator to buy my gold because I can, a jeweler can buy it or a dentist can buy it or a, 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 a computer chip manufacturing company can buy but it. But isn't the jeweler just a gold speculator as well? Because no. what they're doing is they're saying, I'm going to buy the gold for $1,000 and I'm going to manipulate it. I'm going to do something to it. And I'm going to put it into another form factor. And I'm speculating that in that new form factor, I'm going to be able to sell it for more money than no, I it's bought not it. The argument to that Sorry to keep interrupting, but the argument to that is, well, they can just pass that price on to the people that they're selling their goods for. So they don't have to assume too much of the risk because they can just pass that on to the customers.
Speculation. You know the demand in your industry. You know that, you know. But just because you know the demand doesn't mean that it's not speculation. No, it's, look, I mean, you can make that argument about any single commodity. You, how course. do you know people are going to want milk? How do you know people are going to want wheat? How do you know they're going to want oil? I mean, you know. Of but, course. But there's nothing that you could do with Bitcoin. All of the demand for Bitcoin is somebody is going to want to buy it because they think somebody else will pay a higher price for it. And it's all about the greater fool. Everybody who's in Bitcoin ultimately needs to sell it because anything that you want to buy, any product that you want to buy, the seller is not accepting Bitcoin. You have to sell the Bitcoin. If you want to buy a car, if you want to buy your Lambo, right, you've got to take your Bitcoin and convert it to dollars or euros, depending on where you're buying that car. And pay capital gains taxes. And now those Bitcoins have to be sold. So you have to have a new buyer for the existing people to get out. And from my perspective, having just looked at Bitcoin, I don't think the hype or the excitement today is as great as it was a year, year and a half ago. And I think if you look at the number of stores... But why, but why is the are, price higher? Hmm? Why well, is, the price isn't higher. The price got to 20000 and now it's barely $10,000. Uh, I think the price is declining. I think the market peaked... Uh, at that 20,000 level in December of 2017. I think interest kind of peaked uh, as well. And I think what's being done wrong. <laughs> the golden deb- went a little bit higher, Peter. But things certainly are getting heated around here. Just before the break, Peter Schiff took a swipe at Bitcoin saying that the price will never see the all time high again. And how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, the- or no we know what happens, so I kind of want to skip this stuff. Right, Ray Dalio just recently came out and said, look, again, going back to the central bank issue, recessive periods are coming. They're going to cut rates. They're going to print money. Great time to own gold, right? Because it has a non-correlation. It's got the store of value, uh, property, etc. Well, Bitcoin is exactly like gold in the sense that it is non-correlated. It's got a store of value property. But the difference is that Bitcoin's upside is 50, 100 plus X on the on the upside. Whereas when you look at um, gold, gold may have, you know, I think Peter said $5,000, right? So today from a $1,500, $1,400 price point to $5,000 would still be a big move, but we're talking about 3, 4X, right? So 3, 4X versus, you know, call it 10X, 50X, 100X, whatever that number is, um, the upside versus the risk you're taking is very, very different. So that upside is a function of, again, the adoption curve. So Bitcoin may be like right here on the adoption curve. Gold is already plateaued, but that's not a case to make for it being a store of value or even an efficient medium of exchange. You're just talking about gains. Well, you now you're, could, you're you, being compensated yeah. for the risk because gold has 3,000 years of history, right? So, so it's less risk in terms of putting your assets there as a store of value. So you get compensated for the risk you take. Yeah, but Peter, before you answer, and I, I want to ask you a question. What do you believe are the benefits of Bitcoin to gold? Where does Bitcoin trump gold? Let's listen. Yeah, Yeah, so so a lot of it comes around um, three separate things, right? Um, And I'm talking about Bitcoin, little b, the asset, right? Not not even going to the transaction network. But uh, the cryptographic security, obviously, is a huge piece. Um, The divisibility of it is a huge piece. Uh, The portability, so the ability for me to move uh, it is a huge piece. Um, And ultimately, uh, when you put those things together, what you get is an asset that cannot be seized. It cannot be censored, right? And so when you have a non-seizable, non-censorable asset that is portable, divisible, and secure, you have something that is very, very valuable. But it is censorable. Like Bitcoin has been blacklisted, which means it's censorable. Like I've said this in past videos, as soon as that happened, Bitcoin should have went to zero. 
Like the fact that Bitcoin can be blacklisted and it could be disallowed to be mined and exchanged, like that destroys the fungibility of the currency. That destroys what its fundamental value proposition was, which is that it was not able to be censored. Now, number two, when he says that your Bitcoin can't be seized, here's the issue with that. The issue is, say they came up with unrealized capital gains taxes, or maybe say you owe taxes to the IRS or something like that. So if they come after you and they're like, hey, you owe us money for your Bitcoin, and they say, or and you say, oh, well, make me pay it. You can't get into my wallet. They'll just take your house. Like they'll just take another asset. They'll take your refrigerator. They'll take your food. They'll, uh, you know, do whatever, right? They'll take whatever other asset you have. And if you're just left, like maybe they'll take your phone and they'll take your computer and then you can't get into your Bitcoin, right? But like the issue is that just because they can't get to your Bitcoin, I mean, it's not like you're Steve Jobs sitting in your house, which has no furniture. Like, you need other assets, right? And they could take those other assets if you owe taxes or if you owe somebody for, or if you owe debt. Just because it's non-seizable doesn't really mean that much, right? Now, it may be useful to have that, and this is one of the great use cases of crypto, is that you could transfer value cross-border. Like if you want to get out of the country, and this is something that a lot of the Chinese were doing when they were getting out of China, they were buying a lot of Bitcoin before they left so that, you know, they wouldn't have to like stuff gold you know where, and pass through security and all that stuff, which people get caught uh, trafficking metals all the time, getting out of China or coming into the United States. They get caught through customs. They find little pallets of gold. Um, and it's much more useful to have something like Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency because it, that can't be seized, really. And they maybe don't even know that you have it. But going into the future, they're going to know that you have Bitcoin, which is one of the reasons why when it comes to evading capital controls, which may be coming for different countries which are having problems with their currencies, um, it could be that people buy Monero instead. And they atomically swap their crypto for Monero. They evade the capital controls. And that's just another awesome use case for Monero coming up. But uh, yeah, yeah, it can't be seized. Other things can be seized, though. And they'll know that you have your Bitcoin because it's public and they can see that you have it, right? So just something to note. To some portion of the population on Earth, now, the reason why it's important that I say some portion of the population is because it's not hundreds of millions of people, it's not billions of people today, right? It's a small number, right, in the grand scheme of things. But you have a fixed supply asset, and so as demand increases, more and more people realize, oh, this is what Bitcoin is. This actually has value. I want that. What occurs is you get the U.S. dollar price has to go up because of supply and demand economics. Increases in demand for a fixed supply asset has to increase the price. Yeah, well, so many things. There. I mean, first of all, there may be a fixed supply of Bitcoin, but there's not a fixed supply of alternative cryptocurrencies that may sure. or may not be uh, preferable to Bitcoin. But so Peter, there's, there's no the, limit to the number that can Peter, be created. For the purposes of this debate, and because we're limited in time, let's keep the discussion around Bitcoin. Right. Well, no, he's making a point, dude. But you and can't gold. ignore the fact that bit, the properties that Bitcoin has are not unique to any other cryptocurrency that but could be created. But couldn't you say the same about gold no, and silver you can't and say copper that because and silver, platinum no. and titanium? Not at all. I mean, because silver has different properties than gold. So and does, and so does copper. Not really. Not really. No, you could remake Bitcoin. Literally, you could remake the same thing. Now, it's not going to have the same network effects. But the problem with Bitcoin is that you can make it better. Like, they're all trying to accomplish the same function. And if another crypto could do it better, okay, well, what makes the other crypto unique? It doesn't matter. 
because it doesn't do the function that it's set out to do as good as the competitor. And so people are going to go to the competitor. And so that's different in regards to gold and silver and titanium and uh, palladium and other metals that he was talking about. Those things can be used for different things. And so given that they have different elemental properties, different levels of conductivity, different levels of you-know-what, well, that makes it so that they're not exactly necessarily competitors per se. That means that they could be complements, actually, for accomplishing different goals. So, you just We want to pretend that they do, but since, practically speaking, they don't really have different uses because they have no uses other than as a medium of exchange. There is- right, as a medium of exchange, which is important is an infinite supply of these cryptos. But to say so that... Does crypto have a use case as a medium of exchange? But that, that, that doesn't count as the use case, oh. right? Oh, come on, Peter. What are you saying? And the thing is, it's not a good medium of exchange because it's very volatile and it's expensive to transact. But it's volatile because of the adoption curve. See, Peter, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that, oh, it's just a good hedge against inflation, quote unquote, because it's in an adoption phase. It's got these network effects, which means that it's not necessarily increasing because of the debasement of the money supply it's increasing in value because of the network effects and the adoption phase and it's in that part of the s-curve you can't say that and then say oh well it's volatile well of course it's going to be volatile that's the nature of you know exponential growth like as we talked about before like nothing ever just goes straight up there's going to be a lot of people taking profits it's going to be a lot of people going to different projects and so you got to be consistent with this stuff right at least Bitcoin is, right? But when you go back to a portfolio and say, hey, I'm going to put Bitcoin in a portfolio because it's got all this upside. Well, you might as well put lottery tickets into your portfolio. I mean, you can hit the winning lottery ticket and it could go up, you know, a thousand times. Just put Dogecoin in your portfolio. <laughs> I could buy a $2 lottery ticket and win $100 million. But what's the odds? What's the probability of that actually happening? It's a long shot. The idea that Bitcoin is going to go up 100x is a long shot. I mean, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, and when I say I don't think it's going to break a new high, it doesn't mean that it can't. But if I was going to say, what are the probabilities? I think there's probably a better probability that the high is in than not. But there's a realistic probability that Bitcoin will make a new high. But I don't think that the upside in Bitcoin from here is enough to compensate for the downside. The ultimate downside is it zeroes out, right? But uh, so you lose all your money. Well, if you want to make a bet where you may lose all your money, I can think of a lot of other gambles that will probably give you a better risk reward uh, than than Bitcoin. And again, when I look at gold, too, as an asset, I mean, it's it's a commodity. It's not an asset like stocks because it doesn't pay a dividend. It's not a bond because it doesn't pay interest. It's not real estate because it doesn't collect rent. So gold, when you think about it in a portfolio, it is an alternative to holding cash reserves. So if you think stocks are expensive or bonds are expensive and you want dry powder, but you're also worried about inflation and a weakening currency market, you'll keep that dry powder stored in gold. That- Problem with that is like the horrendous level of tax which is placed on gold because with gold bullion, uh, and maybe this is the case with gold bars, but with gold bullion, they charge you a flat 20% rate. They call it a collectibles item, according to the IRS, and so they charge you a flat 28%. Now, that's the case here in the United States. I'm not sure what it's like wherever you guys are, but that's a lot. That's higher than the highest rate on capital gains, long-term capital gains anyway, here in the United States. So pretty crazy. Although if Joe Biden gets his way, he's going to increase the long-term rate to, I believe, 40% if you make over a million dollars. So 
uh, yeah, there's that. That makes a lot of But if you sell it for cash, you're going to be paying that, which is not so fun. Assuming that there are gains. But the thing about gold is that it's maintained its value. There's not too much volatility that's happened. Uh, and once gold really starts to move to the upside, it's not like you're going to go into dollars. You're going to keep your gold because that's where the gains are happening, right? So sense. But to say I'm going to keep my dry powder in Bitcoin makes no sense whatsoever because when stocks go down. No, I mean, people don't keep their dry powder in Bitcoin to buy stocks. They keep their dry powder in Bitcoin to buy other cryptos, right? Like there's this cycle that happens like Bitcoin goes up and then the altcoins go up, which are like the, you know, 10 to 100 rank on coin market cap those alts then go up after the bitcoin has made its move and then the micro caps after those alts explode you know so if you start to see bitcoin move up to a new range like right now we're in this uh we're in this trading uh situation i'm not too much of a trader so i'm just going to try to explain this best i can uh bitcoin is knocking on the fifty thousand dollar door and so if it breaks through that resistance which it's tested multiple times but if it goes up through 50,000 and moves up to the next level well that's going to bring after that a lot of altcoins with it and then after those altcoins move up to their levels a lot of those funds will rotate out of alts after there is a stabilization period then go into the micros and then those will explode and so there's that cycle which happens that's why a lot of people when they see volatility in these markets to the downside they go into bitcoin because bitcoin has less uh price movements relative to these other cryptos, not necessarily relative to stocks or bonds or anything like this. But yeah, that's how the crypto market for the most part works as far as I understand. And bonds go down, it's possible that Bitcoin can go down even more. So Peter, be anything before you answer. suggests that in those times of global instability, Bitcoin becomes inversely correlated to, to what? To the S&P. So in May, in May of this year, when the trade wars were raging on, the president was tweeting all about, you know, China and Mexico and India and, and Iran, etc. There, there was increases in global instability, right? Bitcoin during that month was up 55%. And the correlation from Bitcoin to the S&P was negative 0.9. So it was inversely correlated. But that could be stocks. just a well, coincidence but because could, there, are plenty, be. there are plenty of periods of time where the S&P has gone down and Bitcoin's gone down at the same time. But, but also, Bitcoin was inversely correlated to gold. It had a negative 0.8 correlation to gold. So if gold goes down, Bitcoin goes up, right? Sometimes. And, sometimes and, gold and again, goes up and Bitcoin goes up. You but, have no well, idea. Yeah, this is a useless conversation for the most part. Bitcoin and crypto is an adoption phase. It doesn't really correlate with much of anything. So, asset, it is the best performing asset for the last decade, right? When you think of a decade, right? That's not a year, not a month, a week, right? Talk about a decade. No, it's, it's actually not. Asset. I'm sure there's there could be a winning lottery ticket that performed better than Bitcoin. Uh, but you know, Bitcoin's only been around for a short period of time. But it's one of the worst performing assets since December of 2017. So, you know, you, yes. That was such a judo move, dude. It's true. Not, it's like true, but it's just like, why did you say that? But it's true enough to where it's just like, oof. That was a good one. When Bitcoin first got started and it was pennies of Bitcoin, before it bubbled up the way it did, sure, it was a great performing asset. Just like tulip bulbs were a great performing asset, you know, before but the bubble the popped. Or, fairness, or, you know, Beanie Babies or any kind yeah, of things that... In the interest of fairness, I think let's look at both assets over a certain period of time. And we can look at it either over 10 years or over the last five years. And I think there's been no doubt that over 10 years or the last five years, Bitcoin has been a better performer. Well, there's no, there's no doubt that 
it's been fantastic for the people who got in early and who are selling, right? I mean, they've made a lot of money, right? It was a great trade. But just because something was the best performing asset over the last 10 years doesn't mean it's going to be the best performing asset over the next 10. In fact, it could end up being the worst performing asset over the next 10 as the people try to cash in on all those gains that they made on the run-up. That's completely fair. The past performance does not indicate future performance. right? I think we agree on that. I think that when we look at this, my argument is not gold is bad. Right? I actually think that gold, for many of the same reasons why you believe gold has value, gold has value. Right? The physical properties, non-correlation, right? store value, etc. What I'm hoping that you can get to is to say gold is the incumbent. Right? It's been around for 3,000 years. We know it works. There's some challenges, right? It's hard to move a lot of it. Not really. Well, I mean, if I said, do you send me $50 million worth of gold, how long would that take? Well, if you actually wanted the physical gold in your safe, yeah. right? You know, I have, have to have a company take a few days to get it over there. Yeah, and ship so it a over. A few days and, and a couple of airplanes and ships. Gold's not that heavy. But, but I mean, for, for that for that much dollar value. Yeah, but but here's a this is a bad statement, bad argument. I know, but what if you send fifty million dollars to the wrong account? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but uh, you can't get insurance on that. You can get insurance on a big gold transfer. You get insurance on that. It's going to cost you a good little bit. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's just the nature of third-party stuff. You get insurance. Meanwhile, peer-to-peer, uh, yeah, I mean, you just got to trust yourself a little bit more, right? But Remember, all the gold in the world that's ever been mined would fit in a swimming pool. So you're not talking about if I'm going to send somebody $50 million worth of gold, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's really not a lot of... But Bitcoin is better for big payments like that rather than using gold because you have to take it all across the sea think of the shipping costs think of the insurance costs I mean, think of all that stuff right volume but, but you have to remember right as if you were the most efficient mover of gold in the world mm-hmm. bitcoin is still more efficient to move right right but the difference is when you're moving gold you're moving something when you're moving bitcoin you're moving nothing obviously would, would, to would move you, nothing doesn't take a lot of effort so forget about bitcoin for a second <laughs> would you argue that digital assets in general have no value that, that there's that there's nothing there but when you mean a digital asset if you mean the 2000 whatever cryptocurrencies a better way to frame that is does information have value, right? Because when you're talking about digital assets, you're talking about information. Does accounting information that determines who owes who what have value? If you list it that way, if you frame it that way, I think you could get a more interesting response. But when you say digital asset, uh, like, you understand what I'm saying? There's a little bit more of a nuance there. I don't think they have any value. Okay. So what do you mean like, when you talk about a digital yeah. asset? So, so let's take a song, for example. A song is a computer file, right? No, no, no. It, well, a so song has value because I can listen to it and I can asset. dance to it. No, but but thing is, it's... it's. Yeah, yeah. Taking the wrong path, my man. That's not a good argument to give. In terms of purpose, right? It's entertainment, right? So... My being entertained is a value to me. If I can play music and it makes me feel good, if I sing along with it, if I can dance to it, if it sets the mood, if I want to have a party or want to have a romantic dinner, music is a part of that. So it's satisfying that. Bitcoin doesn't do any of that. I don't have a romantic dinner and and, and put my Bitcoin on. Well, so that's why you want to frame it like, is information, secure information regarding an accounting ledger as to who owes who what? That's why when you frame it like that, you get a more reasonable response or you get a more intelligent response. 
in regards to does it have value because that does have value now when you say digital asset and you compare that with a song i mean it's just like wait what are you talking about right and spend Bitcoin to buy. But he's saying, yes, information can entertain me. Information can inform me. Information uh, could provide value to me. Maybe, maybe it could tell me where it is I'm going, as he brought up with Google Maps. But when you say digital asset like Bitcoin, and people just think of like a digital coin, which is on your wallet, you know, people don't really understand what that means, right? What that means is you have uh, exposure to an accounting ledger. You have a particular... Uh, place of real estate in an asset column on an accounting ledger that a lot of other people are using to maintain uh, information as to how much value somebody has and how much value they can get from other people. So if you frame it that way, I think it's better. Buy a romantic dinner at more Only places? To, at no. more places than you could gold? No, no, you can't. What, how many, do you think in the world there's more people who accept Bitcoin as merchants or people no, who they accept don't. gold? No, nobody really accepts. There may be a few like Bitcoin fanatics that want it, in which case it's really like what about barter. Starbucks? And, and how many vin- uh, Dude, if you go to Africa where people don't have cell phones, like if you offer to pay for gold for things, they'll take it, 100%. Now we're talking about Africa here, I know. But uh, yeah, anyone the, anyone in the world is going to accept gold for just about anything. Um. Now, maybe they'll accept it under the table. Maybe they'll have to figure out some way to make that work, but they'll take it. Like, everybody knows the value of gold, right? Uh, Bitcoin's a different story because you have to have certain prerequisites like we talked about. You have to have a phone. You have to have internet access. You have to have electricity. You have to have a Bitcoin wallet. All these things, right? I don't. How many vendors do you know about today that are accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment off the top of your head? There's hundreds. No, no. I would, I would say that the vast majority of them do what I do. It's shift gold, right? People want to, you know, needle me. Oh, shift gold. You know, you take Bitcoin. No, we don't. There is a company that was out there, BitPay, that basically said, hey, work with us, and we'll help people who have Bitcoin shop at your store by buying their Bitcoin from them, selling it, getting dollars, and then giving you dollars for your products. And the vast majority of firm of companies that accept Bitcoin don't accept Bitcoin. They work with BitPay and they make it easier for people who have Bitcoin to sell the Bitcoin to get the currency that the, re- that the merchants do accept. Mm-hmm. How many other currencies do you accept on the website? We only accept, in, in, in Shift Goal, we only accept dollars. Dollars and Bitcoin. No, we don't accept Bitcoin. We work through BitPay. And obviously, look, the reason that some merchants initially jumped on the bandwagon is all of a sudden a bunch of people who had Bitcoin and they bought it when it was 10 bucks, 100 bucks, all of a sudden it's worth five, ten thousand dollars You now have a lot of people who have some money to spend. And so I can't blame merchants for saying, hey, you just got rich on Bitcoin, buy some stuff at my store. We'll make it easy for you. And in fact, the store has got some free publicity. The minute you announce that you're accepting Bitcoin, all of a sudden you got all this free publicity and people actually started shopping there. You know, So it was all part of the marketing effort to pump up the demand and, and to create the false impression that people are actually using it as a medium of exchange when they're not. Gentlemen, we are running out of time. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give each of the two gentlemen here two minutes to give us a closing argument. Now, what I want here is, I think, Peter, you've had your say, and you've had your say, and we could continue going around here for hours. What I want to do is I want you guys to formulate a two-minute closing argument to try and convince the other side to see your point. And I want you to try and convince Peter to see that maybe there's some value in Bitcoin. Peter, I want you to try and convince Ant that there's no value in Bitcoin and that we should all be looking to the 3,000-year-old precious metal. This time, Peter, you can go first. Well, you know, I've had a lot of experience talking with 
uh, Bitcoiners or Bitcoin bugs. And to me, it's almost like a religion at this point. I mean, the people who believe in it are going to believe in it no matter what I say. Right? And it's like I can't convince you know, somebody who's uh, you know, Catholic that they should be Jewish. You know, they're just, they've been brought up on a particular religion, and that's what they believe. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people in Bitcoin fall into that. And I think what's really clouding their judgment is their own greed. Uh, because if people are right about what's going to happen to Bitcoin, all the people who own it are going to be really rich. And that's a dream that people don't want to let go of, right? They, 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 they want that to happen. And so they build up a wall to prevent, you know, any kind of rational argument from penetrating it because they don't want that worldview disrupted. They want to believe that they can get rich, just like people wanted to believe they can get rich owning a home during the housing bubble or during the dot-com bubble. It's very powerful uh, when you combine sometimes ignorance with greed and a little bit of knowledge. I mean, I'm not saying that people in, in crypto uh, are foolish because they actually believe a lot of things in some cases that are right. But then they got sidetracked by their own greed and 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 and, and once they get in this thing they, they can't seem to let it go. So it's 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 difficult for people to take a step back and you know when you live in a bubble you can't see the bubble. Peter right? your time's up. Anthony he's saying that Bitcoin is a bubble that we're all in it for greed and that we don't want to let it go because we're seeing the riches ahead of us. And you've got a, a big task here, and um, I think the whole crypto community now is looking to you to try and convince Peter in two minutes that it's not a bubble, and it's actually much more than that. Peter, I urge you to have an open mind for the next two minutes. I know you're here to represent right. gold, but I need you to have... $100 worth of Bitcoin, he that you could be wrong, you could be missing something, uh, 0% chance that Bitcoin could be valuable, that um, it could be a new technology, a new trend, um, that it's a 0% chance that the millions of people who are currently buying and holding this are wrong, don't buy any. Don't put it in your portfolio. Don't use it. But if there is even a 1% chance that you could be wrong, the odds, given that it is an asymmetric asset, mean that you will be kicking yourself forever for having known about this, spend all your time doing this, getting berated on the internet, and miss the opportunity. And so if you're 100% confident that you're right and 0% uh, possible that you're wrong, keep doing what you're doing. But if you think there's even 1% chance that you could be wrong or that even if you are right theoretically in practice, something else is going to happen, then you have to get some exposure to it. See, but that argument... Would have, would have been correct when I first heard about Bitcoin when it was, I don't know, 10 bucks or whatever it was. I'm already kicking myself. Even Peter Schiff is kicking himself, man. Yeah, I kicked myself a little bit too. I first heard about it when it was like $100, $200 back when I was a freshman in college. I had a roommate and he had a buddy who had already retired because he had invested in Bitcoin back when it was like a few cents back in like 2009. And he was already living high off the hog. He had sold a lot of his Bitcoin. Hopefully, he held on to it a little bit because that guy would be like a Saudi prince by now if he, you know, if he did hold on to it. But that is the debate. I want to hear from you guys what you guys think of the debate. Uh, I guess I'll give my final two minutes to explain why this Monero is the choice to go to. Even though I am a gold and Monero guy, I believe that gold, silver, and metal is the way to go for value preservation for having a store of value in regards to something being a medium of exchange Monero is the best Monero is the 
quickest crypto cryptocurrency, which is also private, even though some people argue some others are better, like Pirate Chain, but that privacy has yet to be proven. Somebody had made a tweet today saying that uh, Pirate Chain, do you think that Pirate Chain is ever going to surpass Monero? And I said, well, as long as Monero works and as long as people trust the privacy functions of Monero, Monero's going to stay on top. Monero's going to stay king. Now, if something happens with that, yeah, uh, its network effect is going to fail, and then it's going to uh, have its market share taken up by another cryptocurrency people have faith in. But for now, that hasn't happened. I don't anticipate that happening. Uh, they fixed their bugs, which is another thing in the news to be aware of. And yeah, now it's back on track, being the king of crypto, in my opinion. And so Monero, people say, oh, well, it's not that fast. It takes a while, right, for confirmations. Well, it, without confirmations, it's instantaneous. And because you don't really have a double spend problem, because you really don't have uh, a repay problem, which could happen in Bitcoin, well, once it happens, it happens. It's out of your wallet. It's going somewhere. And so it's as instantaneous as the Lightning Network. You got to wait a little bit for the confirmations to go through and for that Monero to be unlocked for the other party. But for the most part, it's instantaneous. So it's fast. It's private. And going into the world that we're going into, where it's going to be very technocratic, privacy is going to become a high, high premium, which people haven't really picked on yet. They haven't really picked up on that yet. Well, Monero is going to be a go-to. Like people are going to figure this stuff out. Monero, Darrow, Parachain are all going to be huge. The whole Freedom Coin sector is going to be absolutely nuclear. And a lot of market share is going to be taken from Bitcoin when the atomic swaps become more normalized and people can get out of these things in a trustless private way. Uh, and they don't have to use the KYC mediums, which will expose how much tax they have to pay, where it is maybe they're taking their funds. And so in the world that we're going into, Monero is going to be key. The privacy, the tech is better than the tech of Bitcoin uh, because it's more fungible. It's a better accounting ledger. Uh, people can use it with more confidence that it's private, right? And so privacy has a premium because you don't want your competitors maybe knowing uh, what you're making deals for. Maybe they know the address for uh, you know somebody who's supplying you goods so that you could uh, you know turn those raw goods into finished goods and so you know because there's a lack of privacy you could have a loss of competitive edge you could have a loss of information asymmetry which affects your capacity to do sales successfully and so there are a lot of things that you need privacy for right and so privacy people are going to figure out the need for this stuff and when people figure out the need for this stuff and they figure out how efficient Monero is and how much better of an accounting ledger it is compared to Bitcoin or yeah, compared to Bitcoin, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of money is going to go from Bitcoin into Monero and just into the space generally. And look at Haveno, the decentralized private exchange for which Monero is going to be the base currency used in base Paris. Uh, that's going to allow a lot more liquidity to, f to flow into uh, Monero. And given what is going on now with Binance, which is under investigation by the DOJ, the IRS is involved, uh, I think they're also under investigation in many other countries as well. And so a lot of people, because of the KYC, they're going to stop trading on these exchanges as much and probably go to something like Haveno where they could trade and not pay taxes, which I don't recommend, but it's probably going to happen anyway. And you're going to be able to just finagle your way around like you were back in like 2013-14 when people really didn't know about this stuff, except now there are a whole bunch more cryptos. There's a lot more opportunity. And so that's going to increase the adoption for Monero. That's going to increase the use of Monero. And then you look at Perkins Coie, like we talked about earlier. Like 
Monero's in perfect compliance. Now there's a precedent set for Monero to not be banned. And so it's going to take a lot of justification to overturn that. And other Monero, uh, law firms, I'm guessing, are going to come up with the same conclusion. Grayscale is talking about buying Monero. And if institutions start to get into it, well, that's another checkbox. That means it's going to be harder to roll that back. Uh, and so... Again, that's going to give more confidence to the crypto, which means more exchanges are going to take it on, like Coinbase, which for whatever reason hasn't joined the party, which they should here in a little bit. Who knows why that is? Get it with the program. But yeah, that's all for now. I got to go to the bathroom, which is why I'm talking so fast. Uh, I've been having coffee. So yeah. Long video, man. Hour and 40. I think we did good. If you guys liked the video, please like the video. If you like our content here on the channel, I've overlaid probably some parts of this video with links to other videos that we've had. We have a lot of key information, a lot of cutting edge information. So please, if you would be so inclined, check out other videos on the channel, subscribe to the channel, uh, share the links, get the word out there about Monero and how awesome it is as a cryptocurrency, how much use case it has. Get involved yourself. Get Cake Wallet. Cake Wallet, the sponsor of the channel. They are awesome. And yeah, that's about it. Donate to the channel. We've got all the addresses below. I've included Dash in Bitcoin now, though if you send me that stuff, you know where I'm going to flip it, back into Monero. So um, yeah, donate to the channel, help the channel, become a Patreon member so you can read that Lightning uh, Network report. We went over that a little bit today. But yeah, that's about it for this video. You guys have a wonderful day. God bless.